And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Thursday early evening. I'm out here in Ashburn. We just wrapped up day two of everything that goes around all around here today. Uh, practice, locker room, talk to the coordinators today, Ron Rivera yesterday. Rivera will talk to us again tomorrow. Um what we're going to talk about this show, obviously, we're still going to deal with the fallout of the trades of Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Nobody better to do that than our guy Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Brad's all over the, well, he's all over all aspects of this, but he's all, you know, particularly a good person to talk to with regards to the value of the picks, um, the money involved for all the players. Did Washington get good value? Would they have been better off holding on to Ch- to uh, Montez Sweat, even if the deal was at 20 20- more $25 million annually versus that second round pick. Um, and we also get into, of course, all the chase young of it as well. Was his value fair? Did, did they get less than they should have? Did people, you know, cause I know there's fans out there who think they did. So a lot to get to there with Brad. We also talk about um, Eugene Shen, who was hired to be the director of the v- VP of football strategy. Ron Rivera said the other day that, that uh, Eugene helped out um, in these trades even though, as I said, his technical hire date is next Monday. But, you know, I guess I guess every uh, you, know, you get cell phone, you know, you're coming. What's the harm? Anyway, we'll get to all that in a few moments here on the podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, hit that subscribe button, uh, all, whether you're iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you do, your podcasting. Uh, in addition, of course, check out The Athletic. I had a bunch of stories over the last few days on this. You know, I, I think we really talked about a lot of these angles over the last several days. And I think, you know, I think we really had a good job, did a good job collectively of, of, of covering um, all the angles from why Washington would look to make these moves, what teams could be involved, uh, the impact, things like that. Um, you know, did, did, you know, again, did, did it surprise me that we uh, saw Washington trade both of them? I mean, a little bit, but there was plenty of smoke over the last few weeks as well anyway we if you missed it um nikki jabala from the washington post joined me after the after the trades went down we broke that down so you can make sure you can check that out as well good companion piece certainly to this episode so we'll get to brad in a moment um i'll I'll just sort of kind of go through some of the other topics here uh before we get to the sweat and young of it all so uh washington back out of practice as i said today and you know Needless to say, from the defensive line perspective, James Smith Williams, Casey Tuhill are the likely guys to fill in for Young and Sweat. And I've tweeted a bit about this over the last few days, and I know some others on the beat have as well. Nobody is comparing Young and Sweat to Smith Williams and Tuhill. Nobody is suggesting that, oh, this is brilliant. They've got their two new starters sitting there just waiting to um to, to to fill in and it will be no 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 
no impact felt it'll be great nobody's saying that but for those who are interested in hey is washington giving up on the year can they still compete i actually think that they can i think that because you still have Duran Payne and John Allen, that's not nothing. That's like two obviously high-level linemen, two pro bowlers. And now with Smith, Williams, and Tuhill, they just, in fact, may be able to do even a bit more than they were before because of the fact that you have these two steadier players over there. I'm not saying they're better than Sweat and Young, but they're probably steadier. They're going to stay in their lane, literally do their job. And um, and that's not a... That's not a uh, I'm not channeling Ron Rivera that sign he had on a couple weeks ago in front of the locker room. But we'll see. If nothing else, it's an opportunity for these guys. I talked to Smith Williams and Two Hill about that, as well as players like KJ Henry. Uh, and I wrote that was my story today up on the athletic that look, the the season rolls on. The the, the league doesn't automatically tell Washington, oh, you get a pass this week. Sort your sort your world out. No, the games are gonna roll on. And now all these guys have opportunities that they wouldn't have had before in terms of reps and um you know i i personally think and i wish i had thought to ask brad about this that i've mentioned this before i would i would look to sign to hill or smith or maybe even both I'm not I'm not saying four years 50 million i just mean maybe one year lock them in because they're both free agents lock them in so you know you have something guaranteed otherwise you're not just looking for potential um young sweat replacements now you need just flat out depth all over the place so it's gonna be interesting to see what they do andre jones and kj henry i mean henry hasn't even been active in the game this year presumably that changes this week jones has primarily been special teams so we haven't seen a ton of him pass rush and he's a bit raw but that showed some good stuff this summer so it's gonna be really interesting to see how those guys handle how do they take uh you know how do they attack these opportunities. I think that is going to be a really interesting thing to watch. Um, in terms of this week, obviously Washington is going to uh, up north to face the Patriots on Sunday. Curtis Samuel has not practiced uh, the last two days uh, with a toe injury. Haven't didn't see him today. If it was somebody else, I might say, well, let's wait and see before making any declarations. I'm just going to assume. I know what happens when you assume. But I'm just going to sort of assume Curtis Samuel may not be playing this week. Um, having, you know, last week he was on the list with a, with a, a foot. Then he got hurt in the game. So I, I'd be very dubious of of seeing Curtis Samuel or be surprised, I guess, at this point if I said we saw Curtis Samuel play, uh, play this week. Uh, other than that, I don't think there's anything necessarily of, of note to worry about on the on – the, with regards to the injury report. So we'll, we'll see where, uh, where that goes. Obviously another fun, uh, fun test for Sam Howe going up against Bill Belichick. I know Bill Belichick is not playing, but he will be strategizing for that defense. Historically, he's done very well against young quarterbacks. The first time he's seen them. Um, but obviously the Patriots really struggle offensively. You know, this is a good spot. You know how like all these teams have been coming in facing Washington and piling up sacks when they were like at the bottom of the league not last week, but in general, maybe this is the chance for Washington's defense to t- to have their um, bounce back game against the Patriots offense. It's a really struggle this year to score. Um, they lost one of their bigger playmakers, Kendrick Bourne, to an injury uh, last week. So uh, this is a good spot for Washington, even without Sweat and Young. Uh, we'll see what they uh, can 
do there. Um, always feel like I'm leaving something on the table for you guys, but I, I think Brad and I get into enough, so I don't think I have to double back here on anything with regards to Sweat and Young, and if the need be, we'll do that later on. Uh, so that's why you want to make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you, you do not miss anything. And also, I guess just as a to mention, if you want to hear even more of me, uh, Al Galdi and I, as we've been doing now all season, continue to rotate. I was on his show this week. And with regards to Kevin Sheehan, not only am I typically on Mondays and Fridays at uh, noon, I also went on his podcast this week. So you can check me out there. The podcast was after the deadline this week, so you can get the reaction there as well. All right, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus, breaking down all angles of these Montez Sweat Chase Young trades and where this leads Washington going forward. We'll do that right now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, obviously it's been a busy week here in Commander's Land and the trade they made from sending out Montez Sweat and Chase Young you know, does change a lot of the equations here, not just for this season, but going forward. So here to discuss all of that is the uh, official salary cap expert here on the Standard Room Only podcast, Brad Spielberger with Pro Football Focus at PFF underscore Brad. Uh, I, I always lose track of this. You're in the Chicago area, or you were, wait, you were in the Chicago, you're from the Chicago area. I'm from the Chicago area. area. I'm complicated. I'm from the Chicago area, I live in New York now, but I'm also moving to Pittsburgh in eight months. So I'm just keeping you, I'm keeping you guessing every, but you're, uh, every time I come on. Does that make you a Bears fan, like hypothetically? Unfortunately, yes. But yeah, it's a good tie to the Montez Sweat conversation. But yeah, yeah, diehard Bears fan. All right. Well, they, well, there you go. So, I, I, you know, we, obviously, some we we had a feeling something was going to go, going down. You and I talked a little bit on the side about some of this, and um, it certainly felt like one of them was going. Then two went. So, from your perspective, when they both went, what was because because I think there's definitely a difference between being inside this space, uh, you know, covering the team, and then the outside perception. So, from your view, what do you think when you just, when you heard they were both getting traded? That was interesting to me. Like you said, we chatted, and I think it was a, I won't say foregone conclusion, but you probably could use those words, that one of those guys was probably going to get moved. My understanding early on was, I don't know if there was a preference necessarily, but I do think they were more open to the idea of trading a Chase Young, but I don't think conversations were cut off and closed on Montez Sweat either. Uh, And then as time and time progressed, Sweat happens first. I'm thinking, okay, so he was the guy, maybe the Bears offer, probably a top 40 draft pick was just so strong. They felt they had to go that direction and probably weren't getting as strong of offers on Chase Young which obviously was the case, but they still ultimately pulled the trigger on both. I mean, it's interesting. I, I do think as much as I've liked what I've seen from Sam Howell, which is you know, certainly bolstered by last week against Philadelphia and not taking the sacks, the, the biggest issue he's had so far, you do have to view it as they are in theory buying themselves outs or buying themselves the potential to move up, get a quarterback, really hit reset on the most important position in the sport. But if not, okay, you just get five young, you know, cheap assets to add around to Sam Howell. Either way, they bought themselves a lot of flexibility, you know, and and I think the plan is clearly there. It's cohesive. And and I think it does make sense from a, from a, you know, 30,000 foot view. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like, it almost made sense to a shocking degree because I've been, you know, I've had you on here many times over the last few years. And like, I'm sure I've bothered you to no end about, Hey, they can't pay all four of these guys over and over and over again. So eventually something's going to have to give. And then of course they go from four to two, which is not necessarily what we all have been um, discussing, but yeah, I mean, 
it was it seemed to be a realistic look. Anything's possible in this league, but at three and five with losses to the Bears, the Giants, the, the defense has just not been good. It's hard to see how this team is going anywhere. And rather than potentially lose somebody for potentially nothing or a compensatory pick that may or may never show up or whatever, it was better to go this way. So, but the question, I guess, then is what do you think of the value? You're not only a, a cap guy, but you guys do a lot of work on trying to figure out how to quantify value of these things. So, Mont- let's start with Montez Sweat. Um, a second round pick is one thing, and we don't know where it will end up, but the Bears right now, that pick would be 35 overall. And, you know, I don't know if I see the Bears going on a playoff run. So, what do you, what do you kind of make of that part of the deal? No, I think that is the thing is that obviously there were other teams involved here. You know, we kind of have heard now publicly Atlanta was probably the last other suitor in the race. And not that they're a juggernaut, but I do think they're going to be picking a good bit better uh, than Chicago is this upcoming draft class, especially, you know, in the NFC South, maybe the worst division in the NFL. They probably could still win that division or or sneak in as a wild card. So I agree. The Bears, yeah, maybe maybe he swings one outcome in one game, but I still think that is a top seven at least, uh, you know, you know, team picking there. So I think it does make sense. It's a very strong asset. It's kind of funny in hindsight. They got Montez Sweat by trading up from, you know, the second to go get him with the additional second that, of course, turned into Michael Pittman, I want to say, in Indianapolis. So I think it is good value. Because I think the thing for them is, and for all smart teams, again, I I think Montez Sweat is a very good player. Do I think he's a great player? Not really. Like, I think he's a high-end number two, low-end number one edge rusher, obviously a durable player, obviously an all-around skill set guy. I think Chicago cares a lot about, you know, run defense and early down usage, not just getting a, you know, mercenary pass rusher that isn't good in all facets of football. So from that standpoint, I get it for them, but I also do get it for Washington. You know, it's not just saving the money. You add the draft pick in as well, and there's kind of a million different things you can now do with the, with the added money. I mean, I think he's going to get $25, $26 million a year and now, you know, a really good draft pick. Yeah, that, that uh, you know, I know because you are a salary cap thinker. I don't know if you enjoy it more when the team has the better situation or the player or you just like the process. But Montez Sweat's camp, wow, do they have the Bears over the proverbial barrel. I think Montez Sweat was even asked at his press conference about do they have the Bears over the over barrel. He didn't know what it meant. I'm almost curious to know what he thought it meant. Uh, But in any event, um, yeah, right. I mean, like Montez Sweat, look, like you said, totally good player. He's on on pace to have a career year in sacks. But sacks are not the end-all, be-all. And, you know, like this defense, he's he's had good moments. He's had – disappearing moments or just you know whatever and now he's going to a situation where he doesn't he's only played in the nfl with john allen and deron Payne at all times in the chase young sample he's now going to be the guy who is getting the double teams and all that stuff but okay we'll, we'll see what he ends up doing i don't think he's in the range of the he's not in the range money wise of the bosses or anybody like that but he's about to get paid i don't know what the number is that's why you're here his agent can go in almost with a whatever number and the bears are going to not be able to balk too much after giving up this high pick for this guy right 100 so there's there's multiple levels here so first i mean look i am a, i'm a pro player guy i want these guys to get paid it's a, it's a tough gig you know there's no guarantee of anything obviously you know we talk about me being a bears fan yeah i don't want him to get nick bosa 35 million dollars a year you know i suppose but but yeah no the, the added leverage when you get traded like that already by itself in a vacuum it adds a ton of value right 
the team is going to say, obviously, it's not a rental. So there is a franchise tag at your disposal. But I think there is probably the optics of we trade for this guy. We didn't get a deal done right at the moment, which, frankly, smart teams try to do. You know, A.J. Brown, Bradley Chubb in Miami, etc. You do want to do that generally because the leverage just goes up and up and up. The second piece with the franchise tag, yes, it is at their disposal, and maybe it does get there. However, they chose not to trade cornerback Jalen Johnson, trying to look for an early two, late first, they said. Uh, Ryan Poles did in his press conference. Uh, I think Pittsburgh was probably the closest there at the bitter end. I, I doubt they put a two on the table at all. So, you know, that's the thing, is that if you do have to use the tag for sweat, not only is that bad optics, but also then Jalen Johnson's gone. Someone else is going to offer him more money than you are, clearly, because you're not extending him right now. So, yeah, the proverbial barrel, I guess it's not a term in Atlanta, um, you know, because it was funny, too. This is a random offshoot. But he had the video inside of Hallis Hall where he said – it sounded like he said Hell Hall, and a lot of people were laughing. If you know people from Atlanta, that sounded like an Atlanta accent to me, but that is irrelevant <laughs> to our podcast. But, but yes, yes, ton of leverage. And, yeah, he's getting – Max Crosby, Miles Garrett type money. Yes, those deals are older, but I don't think he's in that class of player, uh, you know, right now. So I guess I'm talking more, I guess, from the bear side, but it all all relates. So what do you think of that? Like in the sense of like the bears just traded for a guy. Maybe he maybe if they don't watch it and doesn't make the trade, maybe he never gets to free agency. They either use the tag on him because we'll get to Chase Young in a second, but pretty clearly he was going to be gone one way or the other. So they could have used the tag, and then he never gets a free agency. But for the Bears to give up a likely high second-round pick, put themselves in a position to be again over that barrel, <laughs> and have to pay this guy, whereas if they went, if they just let it go and hit free agency, I, I don't know that even if they had to pay Sweat or somebody else the same money, you're keeping the pick. So what do you make of that strategy? I mean, yeah, you also lock in the guy. You don't have to fret. So what do you what do you make of that part of the strategy? Yeah, so look, and I want this to not come across as though I'm trying to kind of bend my logic because it is the Bears. Like, <laughs> that is the, the the general precipice, right? Like, yes, like there there is a pretty good edge rusher class. You know, all these 2019 guys. Yeah, Rashawn Gary just got paid. But, you know, Josh Allen in Jacksonville, obviously Montez Sweat. There, Ryan Burns is going to be, you know, headed for a franchise tag in Carolina. Like, in theory, you could have a lot of potential options. As we know, you know, we say that in November all the time. And then come March, they all get tagged or extended, whatever. So there is that component of it. Um, where I think they thought, look, I don't think there's a guarantee any of these guys hit the market. We kind of struck out in free agency last year, or we chose not to pay at the top of the market for some of the defensive tackles and, and offensive tackles and some of the positions they needed. Um, and secondly, I do think in their mind, the context of, look, we're probably still going to have two top 10 first round picks in Carolina's and our own. We have two second round picks in 2025, again, being Carolina's and their own. Maybe we trade down from the first round pick and we recoup more than the second round pick we just gave up. Like there is context where you say, OK, look, they just assured they got a player. He's guaranteed theirs now. They don't have to bid more in free agency and beat out other destinations. Maybe Sweat also would have taken less money to go to Atlanta in free agency, you know, or another team, not just Atlanta. But so with all of that context, you, you can get it to a degree. They needed that piece. I mean, their defensive line is probably the worst in the NFL. Now it's, you know, take it's a huge boost. So, yeah, that's not me with my navy and orange colored glasses. There is a logic to it. The last piece I would say is, I mean, we know for a fact the Los Angeles Rams offered two first-round picks and a second-round pick for Brian Burns at last year's trade deadline. 
Is Brian Burns a better pure pass rusher? Yes. Is he the all-around three-down player that Sweat is? No. He's one of the worst run-defending edges, at least in our opinion, um, over his last like five seasons. He's like sub-60 grades as a run defender. Obviously, you pay more for second quarterback, but but not to say Sweat cannot do that. So is it in a vacuum? Is it a smart move? No, particularly without the extension. That's where I really don't like it. Um, but I, I, you can find a way into their logic and it's not, you know, it's not as horrible as maybe other potential contexts, given all that, that, you know, all that context. Right. And certainly the bears aren't going to get the benefit of the doubt because of the chase Claypool thing just a year ago, second round pick for a guy that's already off, uh, off the team. So let's swing it back to the Washington side. I, you know, earlier on, I would thought, okay. They're going to find a way to offshoot Chase Young, and they'll figure out a way to keep Montez Sweat. We'll talk about Washington's future here in a minute, but they've got a ton of cap space. That's not the issue. And you know, again, they've they already have paid John Allen and Deron Payne. Adding a third guy at a high number is not necessarily the worst thing, especially if you think Sam Howell is going to be able to stick around. And even like you said, maybe they draft a, a quarterback if Sam Howell doesn't work out and it's a rookie contract, et cetera. We also don't know who's going to be making all the calls, so it's really hard to project what's going to happen. Um, how do you equate the value of a sec? It sounds like we're we're in agreement that Montez Sweat in a vacuum for this early second round pick is, seems like a pretty good move for Washington. But how do you equate it to? Okay, they hypothetically could have got him say twenty four million, twenty five million uh, annually. He's a good player. How do you equate that with what they did? It's not that they're completely starting over, but clearly they're moving to the future. So how do how do you, as the guy that does what you do, look at those factors? Yeah, so I do think it's a solid value. I mean, I did just compare it to obviously a, a blockbuster potential offer from Los Angeles. So like maybe it could have been a little bit better. But again, I think people sometimes say second round pick. This is basically a fringe first second. So that that, that is important. I think the bigger thing for them is. And, and like I said, you know, Howell has shown some flashes, but you might want to say, all right, we want to add, we want to rehole, rehole, start over. We want to retool this entire offensive line and add, and spend a bunch of money there that maybe even includes trading some of the picks we do have now to bring in talent there. We're spending on Terry McLaurin and the two defensive tackles. We also probably needed to make some adjustments in the secondary. Maybe go sign a Jalen Johnson in free agency, maybe get a luxurious need from Kansas City, some of the top names there. I just get it in terms of the way you allocate your resources. Like you said at the top of the show, we've talked a hundred times about how you can't pay all four. You could have paid three. I mean, San Fran is paying Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead right now. There are other teams that are doing that. But I think you bring in an owner that hires Eugene Chen and and, and tries to be analytical thinking. They're probably going to focus on offense. And then they're going to say, we have $40 million on the D-line already. Let's maybe draft, you know, top 100 pick, top 50 pick to add a new edge rusher. But we just didn't feel comfortable paying three guys there. And I also think they probably thought Payne and, and Allen had, you know, greatness potential. Again, Montez Foot is very good. Different conversation. So I think it makes sense. I I, I do. I'm surprised. Like we said, I, I thought it was going to be one. But I, I do think it makes sense. And now you just have so much flexibility. Last piece you mentioned, all the cap space. We talked about they had cap space the last two off seasons. They basically sat out free agency. I, I don't think Josh Harris is going to do that. I think he's going to be pretty active. You would think so logically, and that's where the compensatory pick part started. That, that argument started to fall apart. The you know, I mean, again, if they're five and three, and the defense is where they were a year ago, we may not be having any of these conversations. But that's not the case. They're three and five, and which isn't even the bad part. They just have not looked 
you know, you can't lose at home by 20 to the Bears. Just, just saying. Um, all right. So let's get to the Chase Young of it all. I don't even know how anybody can truly put a value on what he is because it's been such an up and down situation the last three years, missing all the games with the knee injury. He's come back. He has five sacks in seven games. Sounds pretty good on paper, but clearly the team is still frustrated with some of his freelancing and other matters. Um, and ultimately they said, we're willing to move him even after trading Montez sweat, we're willing to move him for this compensatory third. So not even a formal third, but a, a pick that comes between the third and the fourth. So I don't know how you put a value on that, but this is why you're here. So what do you, what do you say to that move? Yeah. So it's going to be between, you know, 97 and a hundred is where that pick will fall. Um, which, you know, is still a solid, you know, solid draft pick. But like you said, it's, you know, it's different than 80, 85, whatever the case may be. Um, if you got a true third there, I think that is the thing. So first for the freelancing and all that, there is some of that. You throw on his tape, he does vacate his gap or lose contain on the edge sometimes, trying to get upfield to make a splash play. And look, I mean, you have Hall of Famers like J.J. Watt that talk about he would do that and his coaches would scream at him, but he'd say, well, it works. And then they would kind of say, yeah, it did work. Like, darn you. So, like, I think the, to me and, and what I've heard is the medical component was really the bigger thing here. And maybe you've heard the same, but I actually don't know how the process works, but I've been told like other teams, he quote unquote, like didn't pass other teams medical evaluations. He obviously wasn't flying around the country taking medical tests. So maybe, I don't know, they share, maybe the teams share information. I guess that's probably how it works. Say, hey, our doctor did an eval. Here's, here's what he, you know, here's what he found. You can look at the report and, and judge it how you will. So that is what I heard. I heard it was multiple teams that basically said, we're not comfortable going there. So for that reason, again, you you just nailed it. Is everyone loves to say, well, they would just get compacts, no, comp picks no matter what. No, they wouldn't. If they spend, they're going to cancel out those compensatory picks, and you maybe lose the guys for nothing because um, you know because you neutralize those assets. So I, I the, the young move makes sense to me. I know people are going to hate it because he's probably going to be incredible on in San Francisco. You know, playing with this great defensive line, he's top fifteen for us in pass rush win rate. Um, you know, way up there in pressures. Obviously, like you said, ha actually getting home and getting sacks as well. But like you said, I think they were comfortable moving on, and, and as long as they got a top one hundred pick, they were going to do it. You know, so I'm fine with it with that context. You know, when Josh Harris bought the team and knowing his background with the process and the Sixers and all that. And you start looking at the landscape, you're like, man, this is a pretty good deal for an owner. I mean, for any owner, but particularly for this guy, he's coming into a deal where presumably Josh Harris takes over a team that has a coaching front office situation that he can easily blow out if he wants. Rivera has one year left on his deal, but it's not that big of a deal. He is got 90 million in cap space approximately according to uh one of your other outlets he um uh he had all his draft picks now they've even added more he's not stuck with a quarterback contract it's not like the denver owners getting there and russell wilson's on the book for a billion dollars and it's a pretty clean slate that he has and then on top of it the the players under contract, John Allen, Teron Payne, Terry McLaurin, like that's your best three players. Uh, you know, essentially even before the 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 trades, and you know, we can get into the John Dodsons and Benjamin St. Juice and Brian Robinsons as well. But that's a pretty clean slate. And if you re if you if you extend sweat and young or young, not that that would change it completely. 
But now it, it does take, you know, now there is a little bit more here. And in the case of Chase Young, it isn't just the play. It's these other concerns that they had. You mentioned the knee itself. And I think on some level, like, I think they really just looked at it and said, what, what, let's just, let's just go with what we have. Let's not add anything more to it. I mean, do I think they could sign a cam curl or, or, or somebody at some of the other things perhaps, but that's a lesser number. And again, with Chase Young, there's just these other components. It's not simply just, that's why I sweat was easier one to resign if they'd wanted to. He's a pretty clean player. He's durable, all the things. So I, I just think on some level they were like, you know what? Whether we think he's going to be, uh, he's going to turn into a monster over time. Not only have we not seen that, we, we can't justify paying him the twenty-something million dollars a year that you would probably have to do if you're Washington to keep him. So I just think from those perspectives, it just made too much sense to move him, even if the pick itself is not crazy. I, I was on with our Bears podcast today at the Athletic that you got name dropped in there because I guess you had been on there recently, um, and they were saying that like the fans were. Some of them are really legitimately like pissed off because why why not give up the third for Chase Young instead of a second for Sweat? And it's very that's sort of what I said before. The perception of these two guys is very different in the sort of the casual fan world compared to the reality of the world of of, yep. of GMs and, and and teams and things like that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I I do think, and I get it, right? I understand the context of you know fans see the stats and they know some number two overall pick, and there is a higher ceiling on Chase Young, I think, than a Montez Sweat. But the floor is way way higher on a Montez Sweat than a Chase Young, and I do think the Bears, like I said, also really do care about getting a three down player. They don't blitz a lot. They don't really rotate defensive linemen a ton. They want guys that can be on there, you know, and, and quibble with that how you want it, you know, in a different capacity, but. The thing for me there, too, is like they want stability and they're trying to kind of rebuild this culture and get foundational pieces and build around those guys. And, and yeah, I mean, that is not really the perception of Chase Young right now um, for various different reasons. So, you know, from the Bears standpoint, I get that. And I'll tell you this, tying back to the conversation of how much of a clean slate Josh Harris has now. I had a conversation this morning with someone who does a lot of work with potential head coach openings. And again, we're not saying Ron Rivera is gone. He thinks Washington is the most exciting and enticing job available, potentially available this offseason. And he's and I think he's ha- saying that after having conversations with guys that might be taking those jobs. So, like, I think it really does. It is the most clean slate of all time. And even if you do like a Sam Howell, let's say you don't draft anyone. It, it's a guy you can work with, see what you have. Or maybe you do draft someone, but you have a great backup in tow. It's always nice to have a good backup quarterback on a good value contract. Like, there is so much to like there for a new potential owner. And lastly, you know, you never, no one really wants to work for an owner that's super hands on. And I feel like Harris is, of course, I think he had, you know, some sway in these decisions, but it struck me at least as I'm kind of doing this right now to set the foundation. But when I bring in my group and my people, I am going to kind of go back to saying, I trust you guys to do do what's right. You're now building this thing from the, from the ground up. And I'm going to kind of be step away and let you do it. Cause obviously he did that in Philadelphia, uh, you know, in the process and all those things. So yeah, it is, it is a really, really attractive opening. Um, and it is, it, the roster is in a better position than, you know, many new head coach, you know, rosters are, they often inherit obviously the worst teams. And, and I don't think, you know, look at Las Vegas and, you know, the actual, the only actual opening we have, I mean, they have like three or four good players on the team. Um, and, and Devonte Adams is going to be 32 years old next year. Like it's, it's night and day from that one, you know, one example out there. When, when they decided to say that Sam Howe was going to be essentially the starter back in January, it seemed kind of a bizarre choice for the head coach 
who seemingly needs to try to win to keep his job. It almost seems like the type of move a general manager would say, thinking, you know what, I'm probably going to blow this coach out in a year. I don't want to tie my next coach to a, a quarterback in any real capacity, whether it's the draft or uh, signing a big deal. I won't. Yeah, so it's it's weird. I mean, I don't think Rivera was doing that. And I know that there's the talk is, this week has been the uh, coach and owner were in lockstep on the deals and Rivera wants to leave the team in a better place and all that. And I buy it somewhat, but um, it's just interesting how it worked out and it's working, going to work out nicely for whoever's going to inherit this, whether it is Ron Rivera staying or more likely, I would think somebody else. Um, You mentioned Harris bringing in his own people. And I want to get to something here because you already mentioned this guy's name. The moment that I thought for sure they were going to trade at least one of them, was the day they announced that they had hired Eugene Shen as VP of football strategy. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be curious if you know him or, or know anything about him, but, you know, we have talked a lot about the analytics here. The, not only does Josh Harris come from that world, that's going to be a component. He literally has Daryl Morey, the, 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 the king of analytics, running the 76ers. But that also simultaneously, Ron Rivera, that's just not what his move is. They had one person in the analytics department up until earlier this year, then they bring in Eugene Chen, whose job is to basically help them with the analytics and kind of give that overview of football strategy from that perspective. That was not a Ron Rivera hire. That was clearly a Josh Harris hire, even though Rivera, he's going to report to Rivera and blah, blah, blah. And Rivera said that Shen helped in these mo- in these trades, even though he technically isn't starting until next week. But OK, whatever. They had a conversation. So that's the moment I was like, okay, if they're doing this, the logic move is to trade at least one of these guys because you can't, as we've said forever, you can't get all four. So I thought it was interesting. What do you? What's your? What do you know Eugene Chan or are familiar with him? Like, do you have a feel of of what he might bring uh, to this team? Yeah, so I don't know him personally, um, but he's been at a couple of clubs now, Jaguars, a couple others, uh, you know, over the last couple of years. He does when he does put out public work, when he's not working for a team. I think he's an extremely sharp guy that you can tell has a sound process, you know, knows what he's talking about. Isn't, I'll say extremist, probably a strong word, but like I think there are some quote unquote analytics people that maybe live on, you know, looking at things as black and white. And I think you kind of lose me there, even if, even though I fall in that bucket, there's nuance to things. There's context. Oh, I said the word context too many times, but like, I think he is a smart and sharp guy. And I also, like you said, I know he technically hasn't started yet. And, and the team has been kind of working through adding more different voices and, and different perspectives. I think there's a chance maybe, you know, he's talked to Kyle, uh, to Daryl Morey about, hey, who do you like in the space or who you know? You know, across leagues, they all kind of know each other. But anyway, the people that I know that have personal relationships with Eugene Chen think he's a smart guy, think he's a reasonable guy, a measured guy. You know, for fans that are like anti-analytic, he's not going to, you know, you're not going to be going on fourth down on fourth and 12 from your own five yard line. Like, he, you know, it's not some crazy thing. He's just going to bring. And I think it's cool to see the first implication be a contract or, you know, asset management perspective, um, because I think some buildings do have analytics teams, but their focus is only on the field. And I think the bigger edge comes in what happened on Monday. So, yeah, good hire as far as I know it. Uh, yeah, it's, I guess that's all I can say. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, like I said, that's, I just was talking to one of my colleagues and look, I, you know, I feel for the fans who bought tickets, who are desperate to win the next game, no matter what, it, what else is happening for them. This is, these trades are not great for the, for the organ and maybe even for some of the players in the locker room. I do think and they think the team that there's 
actually a chance for them to be more stable with this deal because James Smith Williams and Casey Tuhill will be sort of role players to Allen and Payne and kind of stay in their lane, like literally, um, uh, and and help these guys. But we'll see all that play out. If Sam Howe plays like he did last week against the Eagles, they may have better days ahead. But realistically, this is all about um, the future. And we're just to some degree, I wish we could just fast forward because the amount of things that this team is going to potentially be doing in this offseason, possibly a new head coach, possibly a new GM, possibly a whole new coaching staff with including coordinators, possibly an entire new front office, and possibly a new quarterback. That is an insane amount of stuff. And that's why I kind of want to get there because I really want to start seeing what is Josh Harris's vision. I mean, I think we already kind of know it. And this deal, I think, did solidify like, okay, he is he is looking forward. He's not saying, hey, you gotta go make the wild card game, blah. You know. So I think all that is important and good, but you still got to make the right hires. And that's why I want to like get to that point already uh, and see what, what they're going to do. You no, know, it's huge. I, Cause that is, and again, I get why fans want that. I, I don't think that any perspective is right or wrong. They probably were in the wild card mix, even still, because the NFC is just so bad. The thing that you said earlier is key. If their defense was top five in a bunch of metrics, which it was, you know, last season, I think they probably would have had a different approach. I don't think they wanted to move these players, but the defense has been really bad this season. So, you know, how do you justify, you know, keeping them for massive contracts? Like, yeah, it's not their fault. You could argue, obviously, the defensive line is to a degree doing their job and it's the secondary's fault. But there are teams across the NFL with the same type of investment like we talked about, like. The Niners don't have a bunch of superstars in their secondary. They have a couple solid players. The Eagles, yeah, they have some, like, veterans that are, like, former All-Pros and stuff. But, like, they've been giving up points this year because their secondary hasn't really been good either. You know, go down the list of teams that approach spending in that manner where they focus all up front, and it's probably gone better than it has in Washington. But, yes, that is the thing for me is Josh Harris's plan is I want the fastest path to being a contender not a competitor, a contender. And those are different things. And I would hope that, you know, some Washington fans are patient. Like you said, we got it. It'll be much more fun once he starts making the moves. Um, but yeah, and I think that comes from maximizing the offense. You still want to have a good defense, but we're not going to, you know, we're not going to bog ourselves down in the meantime. All right. Um, before I guess I'll just let you go. You, you've got a big brain. You think about these teams in ways like from the outside perspective. So when it comes to Washington, what's been the most interesting, surprising, disappointing, confounding, whatever, what, what, what's been other than this, these trades, what have you been kind of thinking about with this team that like, like we're all saying, is it simply flat out underachieved, particularly on defense? The surprising thing to me is probably on the offensive side is that Eric Bieniemy. I know he comes from Kansas City, but he's a running backs coach, you know, at his heart. And they've had one of the highest pass rates over expected in the entire NFL. They really are letting Sam. Yeah, like they're letting him sink or swim, which I think is also, you know, going back to the conversation of who made the decision to start him. The key really is the last thing you want to do is be on the fence about a guy like look at a Jordan Love in Green Bay or some of the other examples. You want to either know. This is the guy or this is not the guy. And I think, you know, how I do think kind of falls in the middle right now. There's been a lot of good there. He can throw off platform. He can can obviously hit the deep shot. Um, And like I said, the sack rate, it it is, you know, we'll see more games. But his pressure to sack rate is basically unplayable. But it is coming down precipitously, you know, after one game uh, against Philadelphia. So if that continues, that that would be great. But that is most surprising. But also the defense, too, where – it actually, if you remember last season, the first month they were pretty darn bad as well. Yeah. And then they became really, really good. And I was kind of waiting for that moment to happen. Um, and it didn't. So 
I guess on the last thing, I don't really know why they took Emmanuel Forbes over Christian Gonzalez. That's a, that's a whole other conversation in a podcast. But anyway, I like the situation. I like the long-term vision and plan. If I was being offered jobs, they would be on the top of my list as well for for what that's worth. And that's why I kept saying I want to fast forward because the most interesting part of this situation is what's to come. The uh, I, I wish them all well, so to speak. If they win games, great. But like, it's just how could anybody point to anything positive right now and say, oh, yeah. Here comes the turnaround unless Sam Howell like throws four touchdown passes a week. And, uh, you know, that would be good for yeah. a lot of, on a lot of levels, especially since he's on one of my fantasy teams. Uh, don't tell anyone I said that. Um, OK, uh, at Brad, uh, sorry, at PFF underscore Brad on Twitter. You read him uh, PFF. He's all over the place, does a great job covering the league, not just on the salary cap matters. The guy has become like a legit insider. He's like breaking news. He's got information. He knows what's going on around the league. So great follow on Twitter. Uh, my guy, I appreciate it as always. And uh, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen next with this team, but it's going to be fine. You're going to be on the podcast like 12 times during the off season. Now with all this cap space, I'm, I'm get ready. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. A lot of different topics, different conversations. You know, I'm always happy to come back on. So yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. All right. Big thanks to Brad Spielberger for his time. And thanks to you all for checking out the podcast. Um, be back Sunday, presumably doing this from uh, Boston after Washington faces New England. Uh, I have not been to Boston since I was a teenager. So excited to check it out. I have not been to Gillette Stadium. I've heard that drive out there is a, is a nightmare, but could be worse. Could be working for a living. Um, so that is it for now. Really appreciate it, guys. Uh, Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.